All right, welcome to introducing the Diab Docs National Phys Physician uh, Scientist Training Program. Today, um, we have a Dr. Linda Demelio. She's a graduate of Harvard College and, in, and the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. She completed a residency in pediatrics at Children's Memorial Hospital, now Lurie Children's in Chicago, and her pediatric endocrine fellowship at Indiana University School of Medicine. She also completed her MPH at IU, and she's a graduate of the Executive Leadership and Academic Medicine Fellowship Program. And right now she's a uh, professor and the chief of uh, the division of pediatric endocrinology and diabetology in the department of pediatrics at Riley Hospital for children in Indianapolis, Indiana. She's also the Indiana um, Clinical and Translational Research uh, Institute Director uh, of Career Development. And that, will, that comes in handy in this uh, you know, circumstance and co-chairs the, the CTSI Pediatric Project Development Team. She's a member of ISPAD the guidelines editorial board. And um, she also directs local and national research teams focusing on preventing type one diabetes, preserving beta cell function and improving metabolic control and quality of life for persons living with the disease. Uh, it sounds like in her spare time, she's also engaged in research in metabolic bone diseases uh, on top of an active clinical practice, caring for children with diabetes and endocrine disorders and mentoring trainees, so amazing. Um, and she's a well-known, um, you know, scientist and clinician in the field. And we really are excited to hear what's going on with this new initiative, Diabdocs, from her today. And in a moment, we will have um, Dr. David Maz coming to us from Stanford. He's um, partnered uh, with uh, long, his longstanding colleague, Dr. Demelio, to submit this MPI, Diabdocs, or Diabetes Docs, Physician Scientist Career Development Program, which is, you know, uh, called Diabdocs, and they've developed a outstanding team by including other investigators who expressed interest in the RFA, including previous K-12 programs and outreach to physician scientists, colleagues national. So they're very excited to um, you know, present to us today. And I'll ask um, Dr. Dramelio, can you start off and just set the stage for what is this new initiative and, and um, what do people need to know about it? Yeah, so thanks, Monica. Thanks for the introductions. And um, David will be joining us. I'll also introduce on the call, come out. Dasani, who's our um, program administrator, who's here um, newly in her role and enthusiastically <laughs> in her role. Um, so people who interact with the program will be interacting with Kamal as well as, well as with David and me. So basically, um, as I understand it, um, there um, have been uh, historically uh, five and then six uh, K-12 programs across the country. Um, I see that Christy here is from Boston Children's. So one has been at the Joslin, um, and, um, but the others were in um, Philadelphia, in um, Denver, um, and uh, there was one at Stanford, uh, which was more recent, which David Maas led. Um, and I'm missing one, sorry. So Boston, Philadelphia, um, Yale was another one with Bill Chamberlain and um, as, the, as the PI. And uh, so basically the NIDDK um, decided to model uh, their, this new program on two other programs. Actually, we learned later there was a third program, but programs um, that were national K-12 programs, rather than have people move to a given institution to do a K-12, um, because there are only so many people, as much as Boston is amazing, having been their undergrad, Boston, New Haven, uh, Philadelphia, Ben, Denver, Stanford, like as, as much as those are amazing places to live and um, great institutions to be at. I mean, I, I'd had a K, my K was in bone disease, but I don't know that I would have moved to an institution at that time to do my K award. And so um, 
uh, it had the, these, these national K-12 programs, as I understand it, started with a neurosurgery program, but then also there was a, um, neuro, there's a child neurology K-12 program, and then also a pediatric intensive care, um, critical care um, K-12 program. And so um, the folks at NIDDK saw these other programs, particularly modeling after the child neurology K-12 program, which has been, um, it's like in its seventh or eighth year, and it's been very successful. Um, and decided that rather than fund these institutional K-12s that they would fund um, a national program. And so um, this David, um, Maz and I um, got to know each other about a decade ago. Uh, we were both uh, co-chairs for the type one diabetes exchange registry back when the exchange registry was in its heyday. And at the time when we were co-chairs of the exchange registry, we both always um, pushed for the involvement of, of junior scientists, so younger, early, earlier career scientists and all the efforts that the exchange was doing. So um, actually when I got funded by the Helmsley Trust um, for a study of continuous glucose monitoring very young children, each site in the study had a um, junior investigator partnered with a, a senior uh, PI. And, um, but David and I had done that consistently. A couple of years ago, there was a call for a single institutional K-12 and both David and I put in applications. Um, and uh, in the end, only one was funded and his was funded, but we stayed friends after that. <laughs> and so uh, um, anyway, so uh, when the RFA came out for this call for these uh, institutions, this, this national K-12 program through NIDDK, um, he called me like within 24 hours of the RFA going up and said, you know, we need to do this together. Um, I had not run an institutional K-12 in the past um, because I didn't get the grant um, that I'd gone into in for with David, um, but the uh, I have been running a, um, a, a, a K-12 program for um, our CTSA. So we have uh, an award across Indiana and there's four different institutions that send scholars. And I've been direct, that's a director of career development role. So I've been doing the career development curriculum for that program. Um, and helping with scholar selection and helping with scholar mentoring in that program for, for several years. So I had the background in um, on the K side, having been a K scholar, but then also having worked with that program for many years. And um, we reached out to all the PIs of the existing K-12 programs and we got them all on board um, with us to be part of this. And then we also added to that group um, Regu Mirmira as a basic scientist yeah. at University of Chicago and um, Sharita Golden um, from uh, Hopkins, who uh, mm -hmm. is an adult endocrinologist and uh, expert in many areas of diversity. And we um, put together this um, coalition basically of, of sites to do this program. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, this is such an important piece of you know, getting um, you know, really passionate and you know, interested people on board to study type one diabetes. And not only do you have it set up so that it's, you know, they're they're invited in and they're, you know, they're going to compete to get into these spaces, but also once they get there, not only do they get the funding, they get a, the mentorship, which, you know, for uh, an EC scientist is so very important, especially when they're, you know, a clinician scientist, I think. Yeah. And for this particular program, we're hoping to leverage the um, national nature of the program. So firstly, to leave scholars at their own institutions or wherever they choose to study. I mean, they could move to another institution if they wanted to, to do the program. But, the, um, but then also, in addition to having a local mentor within the program, part of the program will be that we will assign people an arm's length mentor from a uh, another institution outside. Another, so if I if I have a scholar here in Indiana, I might ex assign them somebody from Denver or somebody from USC or just someplace else. Um, 
Um, we're not sure. I think those the the mentor assignments will probably be tailored for the external mentor will be tailored to the scholar needs a little bit. So if like my mentor, if I want to do microbiome work and my mentor here is not expert in microbiome, even though they can help me navigate the local institution, we might try to network with somebody more in their scientific area. On the other hand, many of um, many scholars have good mentorship already in their scientific area, but may need more of a, a life course mentor or a, uh, a like somebody who can help with the with politics at their institution or whatever they need. So yeah, um, no, that'll be an advocate. Yeah, it's fairly fantastic. And and I love the idea of getting different perspectives from different places, because as we all know, different institutions do things differently. Yes. And they have access to different materials and different protocols, uh, different data sets, et cetera. So it's really nice to be able to match you know, someone uh, with someone at another institution. It gives a real uh, diversity flavor, you know, and a, and a uh, different perspective, which we always are very excited about here at Sugar Science. I think that whole idea of getting the different voices and different perspectives to weigh in on this issue is critical. Mm -hmm. um, did you want to, you know, kind of go before, uh, I know that Dr. Moss is joining us soon, but did you want to talk a little bit about, you know, maybe dive in to why uh, NIH is, you know, wanting to, to sort of, you know, push this forward now? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it has to do, we all know that there's like a vanishing species of, um, of physician scientists. And so um, part of the goal here is to make sure that there's a, a group of physician scientists. So in order to be eligible for this K award, you have to be um, a physician you have to be engaged in some clinical work. So if you, even though if you have an MD or an MD equivalent degree, if you're not doing clinical work or not planning to do clinical work, you would not be, um, that's not the intention of this program. And I think, um, I think really by, by changing from institutional K-12s, um, many of which have done very, very well. I mean, there have been, um, and many scholars have done great coming out of those programs. Um, I think the idea was to kind of broaden the pool to make it a more national pool. And David and I really looked at it as an opportunity to create really a national cohort of, um, of scholars. Um, something I hadn't thought about until you were doing the introduction when you were mentioning. So I had been part of the Elon program. So the Drexel Exec Executive Leadership and Academic Medicine program, which for any of the women on the call or women listening later, it's a phenomenal uh, program for um, mid-career women. Um, to really grow your leadership skills and um, develop, they develop the academic leaders is really the idea of the program. But for, um, um, but in that program, part of that is that they set us up with learning communities. And I was in my, when I did it in my cohort, I was, I was in a group of six women from all different institutions, um, all in different leadership positions, but all, um, I mean, what somebody was in public health, somebody was a, actually a basic diabetes researcher, somebody was a gun violence researcher, like very different. And I think um, by, but having that peer network um, was really, really helpful to me. And for, I mean, even now, if I have a question about something I I'm navigating with politics here or navigating with um, within my career, I have this group of people that are arm's length from me, um, but have a similar career trajectory to me. And that's a really invaluable source of support. So and having run a, a, a local K-12 program from people from different institutions, I've seen that peer mentoring is really important too. So I think part of what we're hoping to do here is have people to be less siloed and interact with each other as well across the program. And I think that will be really beneficial. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and is this also open to the MD-PhDs, the MUD-FUDs? Yes, as long as, as, long as they're um, 
as long as they're still practice planning to practice clinically. But yeah, that's exactly the group. Right. Um, the other thing with this program that's a little bit unique is it's restricted to type one diabetes research um, for the first um, few cohorts. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's because the money for this program comes from the special diabetes program money. And so um, the hope that NIDDK has is that, and what is said in the, the funding announcement is that in the last few years of the program that we will have some spaces for type two research, but right now um, it would only be type one, which is, um, which kind of aligns with the other programs that are out there, which, you know, child neurology only does child neurology, critical care only does critical care. So pediatric critical care. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I also feel, or or I've heard sort of on the street that, you know, type two really has a lot of the market share right now uh, with interest from industry and also from funding sources. So this is a great way to create um, a space for, you know, type one to kind of uh, grow some, some, you know, scientific legs in the clinical community too. Um, we just have a question here. Is there a place in this program for those of us doing very basic research in beta cell physiology applicable to t- both types one and two? Yeah, I think that that fits. Um, as we just actually got off a call immediately before this one with our, our program officer in NIDDK, and we were asking her if NIDDK had a strict definition of type one, because we were like, we're getting questions like, is this applicable to type one or is that applicable? I think part of what we're going to, we're still finalizing the application itself. Right now we have the call for letters of intent and we're going to, we'll get, we're, we're working within our group to finalize the application, but I, it's not going to be a very long or onerous application. We're trying to keep it short and um, it's not going to be like a full K award, but on the other hand, we want to make sure we have the right elements in there. And one of the things that after talking to her, which Kamal just heard that I think we will put in there, you know, something around you, how is your research relevant to type one diabetes? Because you really, you can make the case, but we anticipate having, I mean, we expect, uh, we will have everything from T0 to T4, you know, like all different ac- across the spectrum. We suspect we may get a little less epidemiologic researchers, a fewer epidemiologic researchers, just because many of those people are PhDs rather than MDs. But um, as long as your research is in some way relevant to type one and can be tied to type one, I think it would it, it will it will qualify in this. And that's exactly what we're looking for. Is there any understanding of the landscape right now as it lay, as it lays out, like what proportion or what number of um, MDs are doing research in the T1D space versus PhDs? I don't know those numbers. I mean, they may be out there. I know that um, I know that uh, it's hard to keep um, physicians in research careers. Um, there's a lot of things that pull. Endocrinology is, not, and we also anticipate that people, I might just say really quickly as a sidebar to myself that we're, that you don't have to be an endocrinologist to come into this program. We anticipate that most of the people coming in will either be pediatric or adult endocrinologists um, at the end of fellowship training, but certainly we are welcome and we hope to, we, we hope to have, have diversity in this program in so many ways, um, diversity across institutions, diversity across backgrounds, diversity across um, topics of research. I mean, we're going to be looking, we don't want everybody to look the same in the program in any way, shape or form. And that was also very clearly specified in the call for applications, but the, uh, um, we, uh, um, so we anticipate, you know, having ophthalmologists and nephrologists and, um, maybe even OBGYNs doing just, you know, type one in pregnancy. Um, but, uh, um, in general endocrine, I, I will say as an endocrinologist, because our, um, I just was in clinic um, this morning prior to coming here. And the joke, not joke, as an endocrinologist, even now as a division chief, is that the more patients we see, the more money we lose in endocrinology. So if I'm not in clinic for a half day, 
you know, my institution is not losing all this revenue from surgeries or from, I don't know, scopes or things like that, like other specialties. Um, so um, in that sense, we're probably a little buffered in endocrinology. I'm mentoring right now an orthopedic surgeon and he's like, well, how do I keep up my, my salary and my RVUs if I want to do research? Um, and he's got a plan and he's willing to make the sacrifices there. But uh, I don't know, I don't know the ratio. I mean, maybe somebody else on this call does, maybe somebody listening will know better between MDs and PhDs in this space. Um, there are certainly a number of endocrinologists um, doing, doing type one research. Um, but there's also a great need and many, many, many great PhDs as well in the space. Yeah. And as we've learned, um, just sort of reaching out to the community, there are uh, definitely people who are coming from, you know, interdisciplinary uh, fields that are kind of, uh, that are really making some headway in understanding things like, for instance, you know, the neuro science world is kind of like dipping its foot in and learning more about neurotransmission in the beta cell yeah. and things like that. So it's, that's very interesting. I mean, would you even, you know, would the neuro fellows be? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Too? I mean, yeah. you just don't know. So yeah, it's casting a great wide net, which is wonderful. Yeah. And right now we're basically just trying to get the word out about this. So the, we just got the um, notice of award today, literally this afternoon. We knew that we were we had a notice of intent to pay, but uh, um, we've been soldiering forward, anticipating that coming. And right now we're just trying to get the word out because we know that the timing of getting in something between now and it's quick, right? To be funded in July 1st and had the first LOIs, but we wanted to be able to fund people starting as soon as January of this year. Um, And, um, and then once we see how many applications we get, we see how many slots we fill, we can have up to 11 slots per year in the program, um, the way it was funded. So, um, and once we figure out how many of the 11 we fill, then we'll see like when we'll have the next RFA and when we'll have the next um, funding. But we anticipate having at least an annual RFA for these sorts of things. And we anticipate having our first um, scholars, uh, you know, enrolled by January, which, w- which will be great. And the, um, the, you know, the LOI is due August 1, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have yeah. a couple of, um, oh good, here's Dr. Maz. So you just have a couple of weeks now for people to kind of like learn about this and really get something yeah. um, together, right? Uh, yeah. It won't be that difficult though, right? The LOI is not too- No, involved. no, it's not. It's mostly just a, like really just an LOI just to say, and we're both mostly using the LOIs to assess eligibility and also to determine our, our reviewer pool. So it's a little bit like, you know, that letter that some RFAs ask you to send in to say, I intend to apply for this RFA. The other thing is that um, we're planning on having a retreat for the program at the end of October, and we will do um, applicant interviews and do, do the study section by the end of October. So the plan is that the um, we're also going to be able then to let people know, okay, you're eligible. If you want to come at the end of October, this retreat, you'd be invited. Because um, we're hoping to have as many people as possible in person um, at the retreat. We will have some virtual options because we know we're going to have some hybrid component there. But yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll let David say hello since. Yeah, let him say hi and then we can maybe dig into the program components. Welcome, Dr. Maz, David Maz here from um, Stanford, I think. Can you unmute? Monica, apologies first off for for running late. um, No worries at all. I couldn't get out, but um, I'm sure that uh, I know that Linda and uh, Dr. DiMaglio and and Kamal uh, we're providing a, a good background on things. Um, so just, I guess just briefly is uh, I'm a pediatric endocrinologist at, at Stanford University. Um, we have a K-12 award right now. Um, it's one of the um, old ones. And now 
NIDDK is transitioning into this national program. And so really excited to be able to work with uh, with Linda on this. We've uh, been colleagues on, on multiple uh, projects nationally the last oh, decade or, or so or more. Um, so really enjoy working with Linda and we, we both are really excited about the program and the opportunity to, to help that next generation of uh, physician scientists who are focused on type 1 diabetes um, to, to get their start and to yeah. get them uh, able to have the opportunity to do research um, on a variety of areas in type 1 diabetes. So I'll be quiet now and, and just- No, no, that's, a, that's fine. I mean, I think it's, I think you're both are, are really well positioned and perfect you know, a perfect team to really get this initiative off the ground and, and you know, so, you know, select and collect just a really great diverse team to, um, you know, in their viewpoints and their trainings and everything to really kind of like push this forward. And I think it's so needed and um, really hats off to both of you. So I wonder if you want to talk a little bit more about the program components. Do you both want to talk about it? Or you want, why don't you go first since you haven't been chatting? Yeah, well, um, I'm I'm smiling because uh, Linda and I probably did maybe 50 Zoom calls with colleagues um, across the U.S. as we were um, preparing the the proposal and wanting to reach out to as many colleagues as we could um, to let them know about what we were trying to do and also to invite them to be part of a part of the team. Um, and so we we developed, I think, a, a system of taking turns of um, starting out to explain what's going on, and inevitably whoever started would miss two or three things, and then we'd we'd pick up for each other. So perfect. We'll uh, we'll do that. Um, so you know, I, where would you like me to start, Monica? What what um, questions? Well, how about like if you just talk about you know the program components, like centers involved, scholarship app process, then like how you you plan for the scholar selection, you know the LOI interviews retreat, which uh, Dr. Demelio sort of touched on this really cool retreat, maybe like a little sort of important yeah, conference. Sure, sure. I did. I I've talked a little bit already, David, around the um the like the executive committee leader and like the, the fact that we incorporate all those people. But other than that, yeah. we haven't talked about any of this yet. Good. Yeah. Well, and I might even yeah. take a step back from that. There may be people wondering what's a K, what's a K-12? And okay. um, you know, what a K-12 is is the career development award, um, in this case from NIDDK. And specifically for this program, it is funded by special diabetes program money which is um, earmarked by Congress um, to have uh, research in, in type 1 diabetes specifically. So what these K-12 awards are, it will provide up to three years of support for a physician scientist who's interested in um, a career in, in, in research and in academic medicine. They have to be someone who also is a physician and, and seeing patients. What this award will do is provide 75% protected time to do research. Um, it also provides them $50,000 um, to support research. Um, and then we also um, will make sure that each applicant will have a mentor that they apply for, and then that'll be supplemented by um, members of the, of the national program as well. The goal of this program is then um, for people to be able to have that time to get started on their research career and then to write what's called a K08 or a K23 career development award or JDRF has career development awards specific for type 1 diabetes. And those K08, K23 or JDRF awards are then the individual's um, awards. So in that sense, they're, they're portable, um, whereas the K12 award, at least historically, had been um, tied into a center. 
And so previously there were five centers who had these K-12 awards. And so you needed to go to one of those five centers to have this K-12 opportunity. Now you could be anywhere across the U.S. Um, as long as um, you're a, a candidate and um, who is focusing in the areas uh, mandated by the um, NIH um, uh, FOA um, and, and you have the mentor, um, but you don't need to be at, at those five places anymore. Um, so we think it's gonna add a lot of um, diversity to the program. Um, and one of the other aspects that we're really excited about, um, Linda probably mentioned um, on our executive leadership committee, um, Dr. Sharita Golden from Johns Hopkins, who's the executive, yeah, executive vice president for, for diversity in the Hopkins system. And she's leading our, our diversity efforts and, and specifically a program we're calling um, Diab Diversity to try to increase the pipeline of, of people who are underrepresented in medicine um, and, in, and as physician scientists to try to increase people um, to come into diabetes research. Um, I think we, we all benefit by a more uh, diverse uh, workforce. And, um, and so we're really looking forward to, to Dr. Golden uh, working with her on that. Um, so Linda, I've been talking a while here. Uh, what, what other things uh, should I, did I miss? Um, just kind of talking about the program in, in, in big picture. Um, I don't think I don't think you missed much. I wonder if if anyone has any questions on the big picture of the program, we can take those now. I mean, I guess I would ask, you know, what what are going to be the hesitations for um, these physicians if they're in their fellowship or whatever to try to to jump into this? And I know you sort of touch on the fact, like, how am I going to get you, know, you get seventy five percent protected time to do right. research? So what about the rest of your training? Like how is, what about that balance? Yeah, I think that is a balance. I, um, I don't, um, I think people have to be willing to kind of take that leap. And I do meet some people that um, decide that they really wanna use the first couple of years after their fellowship to really, a couple of my very junior faculty, I'm sure David has too, cause we're both division chiefs, um, uh, you know, say to me, I really wanna make sure I'm a really good clinician before I try to do anything else. And so I think the, um, this K award system is sometimes um, best um, almost, some people like knew from the moment they started whatever, middle school, grade school, you know, like for me, I didn't decide I wanted to be a researcher until really as a second year fellow. So I was later um, to do this, um, to take this path. But many people have always known and they actually will do like even like an accelerated program. Um, we see that occasionally in the K program I run now, um, but most people um, come out of resident, again, out of their fellowship residency, they get their terminal degree and they kind of get their feet under them initially a little bit with some protected time, ideally for research, but they may then take a little while to, to germinate, so to speak. And so these programs are permissive about that. There is a there is a way to enter, even if you've been doing clinical work, like to come in a little later in your career to do it. Um, but then um, basically that 25% of your time needs to be clinical, will be clinical time. So that um, that is um, usually on-call time, clinic time. For me, that was enough <laughs> to build my skill set. I never, I, I didn't do more. Although now as a later career, uh, as David reminds me all the time, physician, um, I, um, I've toned a little bit more where I do my clinical work, but the, uh, um, but, uh, um, but, the idea being that then the set, the other seventy five percent of your time is spent on on research and I and on a primary project because it also 
um, I was able to be successful doing both diabetes and bone, but it took a while to do it. I had career development awards in both. Um, but the, uh, but most people will focus in on an area and maybe look at dimensions of that area and then carry that forward. And the idea with this is to give you that extra support for that year or two before you apply for a, a, a national, one of the nationally competitive K awards, a different, I guess a different kind of nationally competitive K, but a, but a, but a 90, K. So the sweet spot for, you know, jumping into this or applying to this may be towards the end of your fellowship. Either, well, you have to be on faculty. So you have to have a guaranteed faculty award. Okay. One of the things that we're looking at is actually the institutional commitment to the, to the, because we know that many people, I mean, even if the idea behind this program, <coughs> we would love to fund people ideally one to two years in the program. We can fund up to three, but then we don't have more room for people coming in behind. Um, until they get their other K award, but um, oftentimes um, there should there needs to be some institutional support because okay. if you say you exit the three years of this program and you don't yet have your K, which happens, you need to make sure you have the support. And often there has to be a little bit of uh, this, these grants also don't give very much project money, so some money from the institution around that um, is often helpful. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the LOI. So when someone's you know framing up their LOI and they have this idea. How much wiggle room is there for the idea to evolve from what you originally put in to what, you know, the actual, um, you know, goods, basically? Yeah, I'd say there's a there's a fair bit of room there. Now, it, it needs to be focused on type 1 diabetes. Um, that That's something that we don't have a whole lot of flexibility on, um, but that could be interpreted, say, for some basic science projects, um, could be interpreted um, broadly. However, the applicant uh, would want to explain in their application how the research they're doing, say on beta cells, applies to type 1 diabetes. Um, but there can be cross-cutting science that, you know, on beta cells, it may apply to a MODI, it may apply to type 2 diabetes, it may apply to type 1. Tell us how it applies to type 1 diabetes research, but um, there may be, it may be a, uh, like I said, cross-cutting research. Um, so I, you know, the intent of the LOI is to give us a sense of how many people um, are going to put in a full um, proposal. It gives us a, an idea of who we need to recruit to be um, on the study section to review the grants, yeah. so that we've got appropriate reviewers. Um, and uh, as as Linda said, we also then plan to have a retreat and invite people. Um, who um, put in their proposals to be able to attend that as well. So we have some logistics, um, obviously, with, with playing that retreat and, and travel um, and, and lodging as well. Yeah, the other, the other thing, though, the other next step of that is also from the time you, because there's not going to be much time between submitting a letter of intent and submitting a grant. It's just not the way, it, like, it's going to work at least this cycle. Hopefully in future years, we'll have more, more time between them. But the other thing that we know is that... Um, we want to um, have work with people on their projects and give them feedback on their proposed project. So we, a lot of the weighting of the scoring of the candidates, which will mirror NI, like standard NIHK scoring for the candidates, but a lot of that will, um, uh, will uh, focus on the candidate more than the, the or actually more candidate as well as the project. And so part of what we built in this program, which we haven't yet run yet, um, because we haven't, this will be our first time through, is like some project development time where we're gonna look at the projects, have some external people look at the work that's, that's proposed. And then, um, uh, 
and then give uh, feedback and help help hone the project, help figure things out, maybe maybe connect to other people around the project, um, because that oftentimes people in their K applications propose projects that are over ambitious, even for like a four or five year award. So we want to make sure it's something that's doable, um, so and something that's going to lead to the next incremental step in the research. Yeah, that makes total sense. So this might not be maybe you can't even answer this, but you know, if someone wants to be competitive in their application, would you, you know, I mean, is it gonna be about sort of like ideas that move the ball forward a little bit in uh, known spaces like eyelid implantation or, you know, bioinformatics or, is it, or, or could it be something totally novel and, you know, very, very different, you know, coming out of, you know, neuroscience or even out of, you know, who knows, cardiac or something along those lines. Are you inviting any and all, or there's, is there any, any tips you want to um, give at this moment to, to those who are applying um, to, you know, to sort of like encourage them, their competitiveness? Yeah, so um, we, yeah. you know, with the with the previous programs, um, the previous K twelve programs, they were um, four of them had been focused entirely on pediatric um, diabetes and pediatric endocrinologists, and then uh, the fifth one that that we had was both pediatric and adult. And then with this K twelve, it can be you could be a, an ophthalmologist and be doing research on on uh, diabetic retinopathy. You could be uh, you know, a, a nephrologist and interested in diabetic kidney disease um, in type one diabetes. So it's it's pretty broadly defined, but again, it has to come back um, to to being research focused on type one diabetes. So um, uh, so you know, I think we we do intend for this to be broad. Um, I would I think we anticipate there's probably going to be more endocrinologists who are applying for this but we're not restricting it. And I think then it just comes down to the, to the quality of the proposal. And, and some of that is, you know, what, what is the project? What's the topic you're working on? Um, but also then the candidate um, and, and their mentorship team and, and the institutional support as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, it really, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's just a great, it's just a great plan, I think. Um, can you sort of tap a little bit on the success in the neuro community that this type of program has had and maybe kind of give some, um, you know, I guess sort of like a 50,000 foot view of, of where this this program might also go? Yeah, so thanks. And and I think, um, you know, both, both Linda and I are really appreciative of um, being able to uh, talk with and get some help and support from uh, both the um, critical care, the pediatric critical care K-12 program that I believe they're in maybe their, their 15th year, 18th year, something like that. So that was really the first program. And then the pediatric neurology program K-12 is also a national program. And I think they're in their seventh or eighth, um, ninth year, something like that. Um, and so they've, both those programs have really developed a, a national community. Um, and I, and that's something we'd like to be able to develop is not only um, those 11 people at a time who are on the K-12 and getting funding and part of the program, but we also want to um, figure out how to help the people who applied and maybe didn't get it their first time. They've expressed an interest in wanting to do research in type 1 diabetes. We may not have funding for everyone, but how can we help them come back the next year and have a stronger application? How can we help them in their career 
to be part of the type one uh, diabetes research community as well. Um, so that is something that we're we're very um, focused on. We we need to get through this first round and get our first group of K twelve scholars selected. But then we also want to make sure that we've we've got that community of support for um, others who who are interested in, in doing research. And sometimes it takes you one or two times to get to get that first funding. But we want to be encouraging and. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, um, and we need a, a motivated uh, and younger workforce um, to, yeah, to build totally. for the future. Yeah, you need them with their hands still wet, right, at the yes. laboratory bench. Um, and with the newest techniques and protocols and, you know, this, the RNA scope and everything else so that they can kind of uh, float along with them. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think the templates are there, right? That this is a successful strategy, both in the critical care and the um, neurospace. And so it makes really great sense that you're bringing it to the T1D, you know, physician scientists world. And um, I, I really, I really can't wait to sort of follow and see what happens. The idea is really wonderful. And I don't know if you wanna add anything else. I mean, I don't, are there any other questions in the audience? Okay, here's one. You mentioned that you anticipate funding to start in January with need for faculty commitment. Is this something that graduating fellows would need uh, bridge funding to uh, starting in July to apply for this cycle? That's a great question. Yeah, great question. And, and we just received our notice of award today. So the fact we've um, actually been able to get started, um, uh, we just hired uh, Kamal as our program administrator um, a, a couple of weeks ago. So she's been busy at work to, to um, Get Linda and I organized and to get the program developed, the, the retreat, the application process, we've got a uh, we've got an email address. We're working on having a, 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 a web page. Um, so there's a lot of logistical work that we need to do, and we're just um, just really getting started with it. And then the whole question of how quickly could you turn this program around, get things set up, yeah. brand new program and then have a process to be able to select, for people to apply, for people to then um, be selected to, to be on the K-12 program. We just didn't think we, there was no way we could get it started, we think before January to have a study section or retreat, et cetera, et cetera. Um, going forward, we are contemplating whether a better start day would be July 1 versus January 1. But we need to get through this first cycle, and and that January one start date was really the fastest um, we thought was uh, responsible to propose to do. Um, and so, yeah. So, Chrissy, do you want to? Uh, I'm I'm dancing around your question and unintentionally uh, trying to give background. So, are you are you a third year fellow? When, when do you I, graduate, I guess, is the question. Yeah, so sorry. I know that this is being recorded for other people, so I don't want to take up too much time. But um, so I'm actually a fourth year fellow because yeah. I um, fast tracked into Peds Endo. So I'm kind of trying to plan ahead to my need for bridge funding oh, yeah. um, starting next July. And so it was just kind of wanting to make sure that it would make sense for me to apply this cycle or if you... I think okay, so you're, you're finishing your fourth year fellowship in um, in July 2023. Yeah, so you, would, so you wouldn't be eligible yeah. to do it yet. Um, so you'll have oh, to just okay. wait and see because you need to be. We're we're planning on trying to find people that we can fund in January. Um, 
So uh, as faculty okay. in January, so you have to have a faculty commitment from your institution. We are, um, so the other, one of the other, uh, what other national K-12 programs actually requires, actually maybe they both do, David, they require some institutional commitment for funding. And, and we're, we're thinking that if we stick with the January start date going forward, we may give credit for kind of for that institutional commitment prior to the January start date, if that makes sense. Um, so that you, you know, if we asked an institution to, you know, guarantee at least 18 months of funding in addition to the two to three years on the K that we would, um, that um, you may get credit for that early time. But I mean, at least we don't know what'll happen with this initial cycle. My, my, and with this particular pool of applicants in my role running the K program here in, in, in Indiana through our CTSA, um, I find that the best candidates generally, we have occasionally funded people straight out of fellowship, but the best candidates generally have a couple years of uh, on faculty for some of the reasons you mentioned, you alluded to, I guess, earlier, Monica, like they've gotten some clinical stuff behind them. They're kind of ready to start They're They've already got some research. Now, if you're already fast-tracked and you've already been in a research career, you will probably be ready to apply for K at the end of your fellowship. But most people graduating fellowship are not because they need that time to kind of mature into research. Um, I also applied like, you know, and as a third year fellow. And um, so it is possible. Um, but we will, um, what I would say is if you, if we, if we know about you or know about people like you, um, we'd be happy to kind of also like welcome you to kind of start observing things in the program. I anticipate starting some of the career development training in the spring. And although some of those sessions will really focus on generating that core group of peers that I mentioned earlier, some of them will be open to everybody as kind of more open webinars with discussion with still that core group of uh, of our scholars, the scholars in the program going through, but also allowing other people to kind of hear, hear that curriculum, listen in, provide feedback. Um, and I've been doing that here locally where we have, we have, we have some, we have about half our sessions, which are smaller. And then the other half of the sessions are larger. Um, so uh, for sure, get your name in the, in, in our, in our database, so to speak, as Kamal builds it. And um, we can let you know, but we would, and whether or not we start funding going forward in July or January will depend a little bit on this first pool and to see what we get because um, of the two model programs that we had, the child neurology and the pediatric critical care, one critical care starts in July, in January, child neurology starts in July. And literally Dave and I went back and forth about what start date for this particular grant so often that we'd forgotten by the time we got funded, like we had to go back and look at our application with the January start date, but, um, I mean, long answer, apologies, but we're we're still we're still in formation, basically. And and I would okay, I would so encourage people to apply as early as they're eligible, and yeah. um and you know get your get your name in there, get your proposal in, and um and you know give it a, give it a try. Um, so we're we're really excited. We want to want to get as many people as possible applying, um, and try to get as many people funded as we can. Yeah, and I just okay. put the email address in the chat just so people also like later online will have it. So if you want, if you, you know, you can get your get your name in um, if you want to come all and then we can make sure you also get mailings. Like I saw you sent some individualized runs out today or yesterday, come all about like the webinars and things we're having. So that way we just have you in our database. Mm -hmm. that, and that email yes. is D-I-A-B-D-O-C-S-K-12, number 12 at stanford.edu. So it's diabdocs. K-12 at stanford.edu. Yep. So um, it sounds like those of us who won't be faculty till next summer, maybe send the email to get on the emailing list. But yeah. No, no point in putting in an LOI this year. No, we won't. We okay. won't. Yeah. You have to have a faculty position to be able to, and we're planning on funding okay. starting in January. 
Okay. If we don't Perfect. get enough, That's if really we don't, helpful. yeah, if we don't get enough applications to, to like, then we will, we'll do it again in July. If not, it will be the following January. We'll see. Hmm. So there's a potential that there would be this round, uh, the LOI due in um, August 1st and then again next July. But if well, maybe do again in like, or maybe do again in like February to try to fund people for next July, but we'll, oh, we'll see. see. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're holding, we're holding, we're a new, we're a new program. We're just getting started. So we're, we're David and I have decided together and Kamal has let us decide <laughs> as our new program administrator that we're going to, we're going to reserve, reserve a final decision on that until we kind of, we just need to see how this runs. I mean, we know, yeah, we know the program will run. We're, we know the program will be, it's funded, which is great. We know we have money to pay people um, and we have some really good models and we've actually incorporated into our advisory committees and into kind of the group, the people that are already running these K programs nationally, because um, we believe in looking at their models as our example, but we know our community will be a little bit different and we just kind of have to see how it goes. And but we'll we're be, really so excited. And we'll be listening to feedback from others. I think people will have opinions on, on whether, you know, it's better to start in January, better start in July. And so we'll, we'll be listening. So yeah. that's fantastic. You're really excited. You're, you're going to apply to the program. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier in the um, event that, you know, how many uh, MD-PhD programs and uh, graduates there are currently in the U.S. And, you know, the, the statistics from 2016, basically from uh, AAMC, show that there, are, there were 1,936 MD-PhD program applicants and then 602 graduates, so quite an attrition rate there, but yeah, 602, right, nationally. So, um, and those are really people that are pretty squarely uh, focused on, you know, clinical research or being in the clinic and in the lab. So um, then hopefully you're, you're aiming at those folks that are interested in type one and then outside of that, right? Anybody who's anybody who is also involved mm -hmm. in um, clinical research that pertains to type one diabetes. So it doesn't have to be clinical, any kind of research that would be relevant. Yes. Any kind of research okay. relevant to type one, any research. So, so you yep, could even research. do epidemiological yep. research. You could mm -hmm. do bioinformatics. You could do anything across the board. Yeah. We're really hoping, hoping for, I'm really personally hoping for that. So again, having with my experience here with my program, I mean, not well, the program I'm part of here, it's not my program per se, but like we have people doing work on, um, you know, like in, in the computer in, they all have to be clinical researchers. So even then it's more narrow, but we have people doing everything who are MDs who are working in a lab with something that like to try to move it forward to a clinical component to, um, to engineers actually in that program, which would, would not be eligible for this program, but engineers doing like, um, like patient communication in the electronic medical record and tracking and trying to facilitate referrals. I mean, it's really, it's, I think it's really awesome. I, I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to get to know all these different areas of science as we get to know all the different scholars. And um, I really believe that um, we, we cast a very broad net of sites and we, um, we really made it a national program from the moment we applied. And um, like you said early, Monica, like this is um, when we, we, when we reached out to people to say that we wanted to do this program and we wanted to run it, we um, got incredible support. And we also, um, we, people saw it like we did, I think as a labor of love to kind of just to, to, to bring this forward to like the next, basically the next generation of um, researchers in our field. 
So to fortify, you know, uh, the path to becoming, uh, you know, a, a research scientist. I mean, it's a really, it's a tough road to hoe. I mean, be, because, you know, you're, you're, you've got these people that are trying to really be in the clinical space and the research space uh, at this point in time, when they're coming out of their fellowship, they probably have a young family or they may have a young family. There's a lot of things to balance. So I think the fact that you're offering this, um, you know, the, this fit financial support, but really even probably more valuable is the sort of mentorship and the growth of this community, the network that you're, that you're attempting to kind of like, right, create, and, and uh, you've got to create a super saturated solution and throw a crystal in and really, you know, extend it. Right? And I like that. Going. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of visualizations a lot, David talked to, but like, and so I have this, like, we try to figure out like in the grant too, like, how do we explain like our connection to each other? He's to the bottom left. So I keep pointing to my screen, but, um, and then like the people, the networks and things that we have, I love the idea of a super saturated solution making one. Yeah. We'll carry that forward. Yeah. Go ahead, David. And, and Monica, I think you're absolutely right. When you, uh, when you're a fellow, uh, you, you have protected time to, to do research and, uh, educational, um, experiences. Then once you join a faculty, yeah. you need to pay your salary. And that's that's kind of the reality. Um, and if you have a grant like this K-12, then you, you, you've got that time that's paid for to have that research development and allows you to grow as a, as a physician scientist to be able to write then that next grant, which will likely be a K-08 or a K-23. And that will give you, you, you can be on the K-12, K-08, K-23 series for up to six years total. And that really gives you that time to develop, build a CV, develop your research skills and methods, um, develop your community of, of mentors and collaborators. And then all of a sudden you have to apply for, for an R award or other awards like that, which are, are even more competitive. Yes. And so having, having this pathway really sets you on that, um, on that road to have a greater chance for success. And part, part of what Linda and I really like about this, this grant is it's successful if the people on the grant are successful. Right. That, that's how our success will be measured is, yeah. okay, how did, how did those people who got the K-12 do? Did they get their awards to move on and be successful? And then we will then um, feel like we've, we've done our job and um, we would hope then five years from now, we would be able to um, go back to NIDDK and say, look, here's what we've done. We think um, we should continue to do this for another five years or maybe even make it bigger. If we fund at 11, maybe we can fund 15. Yeah. Uh, of course, there's always limitations on budgets, but you know that's, that's really the goal is how can we get more people successfully focused on research and type one diabetes? Yeah. I'll say one, one other thing that um, both David and I have built our career on team science in many ways. Um, and I was lucky that I went up for promotion at one point in my career at a time when IU had just written into its guidelines, team science. So even though an external letter came through and said, you know, Linda has not generated much on her own, but works in teams that the committee <laughs> came back and said, oh my goodness, like the teams like that, this is fine. Like we, we recognize her clear role in teams. And so, um, 
the other part, one of my mentors, when I was earlier in my career said to me, and we say this to our scholars a lot, that when you, when you go from a K to an R, a K pays 75% of your salary. The R will only ever pay 25, 30% of your salary. So you need to have multiple irons in the fire and you had to have multiple things kind of going on at the same time, which is daunting in order to be successful in this field. And part of what I hope to generate with this program is those, those networks and connections that will allow people to stay, stay successful. Because if I had put, I came out of my K, my K was an osteogenesis imperfective metabolic bone. If I had only done um, OI, I would not be sitting here today doing research just because I also had something in diabetes, which is not a not a, an approach I would sanction, although I'm happy to advise people on how to do it. But uh, I have other friends who have made dual careers successful. But uh, the um, but if I hadn't been thinking about diabetes, and then when when um, things like opportunities like the exchange came up, and David and I were part of that, then the exchange eventually had its life cycle, and now there's still the national quality improvement, but that's different and funded in a different way. Um, so by by thinking about different areas, and each of us, what are the nice things for? the two of us putting this grant together and reaching out to people and doing all those Zoom calls is that we each had different networks. And even now we each send yeah. emails to different people. Um, and part of what I really want to generate within the program, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert, David's an extrovert. Um, but um, even as an introvert, I'm passionate about connecting people. And so I want to make sure that, you know, the Christie's and Tiffany's and those people that are in the program as they come forward, that they they walk out with those 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 connections, because especially for those who are introverts, it's really sometimes hard to do that. Um, and that's that served me very well in my career. And it's what I really want to engender for other people. Well, yeah. and, and Linda, Beautiful just to add on that, um, we what's been really uh, nice this last year is starting to be able to go to conferences in person again. And I think yeah. some of our fellows um, had, had missed that for two years of junior faculty. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's been really nice to have the, those networking opportunities. We can do we can do things on Zoom. But I think we'd all agree it's it's really nice to to get to meet people in in person. Zoom's much better than a phone call, but um, and it does provide a lot of um, advantages and and benefits that we didn't have in the past. Yeah. But to have and that so, interaction yeah. is really important. We also have some um, that we part of what we're going to do in this program is have um, not only the retreat once a year for like scholar selection and networking of the scholars and things like that, but we're also going to try to put together like a place for our places for our scholars to present our research, their research. Um, well, that's in, great. Yeah. Um, and you know, Monica, when we talked, like, I was like, hmm, we had this program, we want to talk to you about the program, and eventually we'll have scholars <laughs> that could talk about their research, but the, um, in this kind of setting, or in, like, at the ADA to have a, have a, have an afternoon where we're going to, that's part of the budget we wrote in the grant was to have a, be able to rent a room and have space for our scholars to present as a way to advertise the program, but also as a way to get, you know, they can put that presentation on their CV. The other thing that the program will incorporate is um, something we've done through the CTSA is now is a visiting scholar program where we're going to try to, during the time that the scholar is in the program, we're going to send them to another institution that's that's got some connection to the program to give a talk and network with people there. Again, that's been very successful within the CTSAs, and I hope to bring it into this K program as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's a really, I, I think that has a powerful, um, it's just a very powerful thing to really get people in out of their comfortable space and into another space and, and uh, listening to different and diverse ideas. So cr critical. I guess I would just say, you know, that um, here at the Sugar Science, you know, we've we're just, just barely two years old. Um, we now have an, a, a listening audience of 30,000. And um, it is interesting to us, we've heard back from a lot of fellows actually, that they like to, you know, put on their earbuds and listen to the podcasts 
because they're kind of strapped for time. They're kind of tired. Um, and they, you know, if they're either at the bench, just sort of pipetting or whatever, they're, you know, whatever, trying to exercise, they listen to it. So, um, you know, this is a good opportunity for those that are listening that are in that uh, wheelhouse or that, you know, to, to reach out and, and participate in this excellent opportunity um, where you, um, you know, maybe if you're at your end of fellowship, you know, maybe, maybe even next year, or if you're squarely in a position already, certainly, yeah, reach out and, and, and start the ball rolling. That LOI is coming up in just about two in, weeks and change, three weeks. Yeah, three weeks. So, so um, yeah, get your, get your laptop out and start typing up that LOI. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. Thanks yeah. so much for having us and listening to us talk about our program. So, it's and fantastic. Being, yeah. Hats off for both of you for taking this on on top of your already incredibly busy and important um, schedules. Thanks for all you do it for Type One and um, and and really this uh, and this extra extra thing that you're doing here it has so much potential to be such a such a um, incredibly uh, for incredibly good force for good. Thanks again. Yeah, well, Have a great well, rest of your uh, weekend. All right. Thank you. We'll report back thank once you. we have some outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I can't wait to hear. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.